0: Hi, this is Big Talk, Michael Glab here. Hey, this is part two of a conversation with none other than Krista de Torres, singer-songwriter here in Bloomington. Krista, thank you for being on Big Talk.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's great.
0: Go to our website, wfhb.org, pull down the WFHB Programs menu, select Big Talk, and then open up last week's podcast to hear part one of our conversation with Krista de Last week we talked about her life, her loves, her art, and this week we'll talk about, among other things, A big project Krista and her husband David Weber are undertaking with the New York University Tisch School of the Arts, as well as a number of Bloomington theater and arts groups. One caveat, in the interview Krista refers to an event that took place on November 8th, 2016. She mistakenly refers to it as happening on November 4th. Other than that, I have no complaints. I hope you won't either. The two of you have started a project called The 100th Hill. Yeah. What's that?
1: Well, The 100th Hill is the name of our artist residency and retreat. So we have 40 acres here in northern Monroe County. Um, We're about 15 minutes outside of the city, 15 minutes from the stadium, really. And we have four guest houses. And we have a big barn, which is a performance workshop venue. And you know we have a mile of trails and big organic gardens and lots of wild mushrooms and every good thing that Indiana has to offer we have out here. I decided that the road was not necessarily something that I wanted to pursue forever, that I still wanted to be in the presence of very creative people and I wanted to be somebody who could foster creativity for other people because my my truest belief is that art is our vehicle for evolution and for problem solving and for joy and the articulation of our lives and our experiences and So I wanted to be involved in art in any way that I could. And with David, David is an amazing builder and an amazing um, kind of visionary for space and place. He can take someone else's junk pile and turn it into some sort of dream space. And so we just decided that we would sort of slowly work toward a way in which to house studio clients who would come in because that new paradigm of recording as experience was also coming into the market. People didn't want to just walk into some recording studio. They wanted to have, you know, for it to be a kind of experience. And so we started building, and at the time he was recording Straight No Chaser quite a lot. They were part of our inspiration, you know, to get a couple of guest houses built so that they could have more than one studio, we could set up um, kind of mobile recording studios in each in two different guest houses and provide space for them to, you know, sit down, call their girlfriends, drink a beer, that kind of stuff. And my larger idea was that this would become not just residency for musicians and retreat space for musicians, but for artists of all mediums. And I'm a huge theater fan. I actually, I absolutely love live theater and what it can do. So I, I, I am hosting coming up here, God willing, and the creek don't rise because you know where we are right now and yeah. where we are every single day is a new variable. So there is no certainty. So I can say that I'm hosting this, but I am hoping that I'm hosting this as long as we can hold the virus. At bay, as much as we can, and um, and that that things don't turn on some sort of new and increasingly horrific dime because of the current administration, which I'll not go into, or or maybe I will go into uh, the the actual the complete incompetence that's causing a lot, a lot of grief and suffering. So that's where we are, but I'm bringing in, if I get to, nine NYU students who would have graduated in May from the Tisch School of Theater. So two directors, two playwrights, and a handful of actors. They'll all wear different hats in terms of stage management and uh, design. And I'm gonna house them here starting in August, August through September. And then I'm hoping to stage three weekends of socially distant outdoor theater, new works from New York, collaborating with, um, I'm collaborating with Cardinal Theater and the Bloomington Play Arts Project and the Bloomington Academy of Film and Television. And I'm um, very excited about the possibilities of seeing what we can do in this space. So we're gonna follow all the CDC guidelines um, because we like to listen to science and
0: scientists. Imagine that.
1: Right. And uh, the kids are going to quarantine for the first two weeks. Then they will basically be almost always confined here to, to the property, and, and they'll work in various, uh, various places, and we'll build an outdoor seating area, and we'll have circles in the grass kind of like Central Park is doing, so that socially distance theater is possible, and force kind of mask wearing outside of your circles pretty strictly and um, try to make it possible to safely still have some sort of life, brand new work in a time when it's, you know, Cardinal can't do anything just now and BPP can't do anything just now and it's, it's an exciting possibility and it's something that could only happen right now because of COVID. So it's exciting for me and I'm, I'm really, really hopeful. They're raising the money themselves to get themselves here. And they're gonna do some um, interaction educationally and uh, with Bloomington kids and we're gonna use some Bloomington artists. We're working with the, the Artists Alliance of Greater Bloomington with some of their people, to do some responsive art potentially. Um, So I'm trying to basically involve the entire town in, in this thing that sort of organically sprang up and was laid at my feet, and I hope this happens.
0: You know, real quickly, you sound like you're an ambitious person because this is a huge undertaking. Would you call yourself ambitious? Yes, indeed, I would.
1: I'm very ambitious in that I'm not ambitious in terms of achievement of status or placement. Well, I guess maybe maybe a little. I'm ambitious in my undertakings sometimes and sometimes too much. I've, I've been too ambitious in the past. Do you know, sometimes in, in some ways and not really thought through some of my some of the big bets that I've made rather than little bets that I've made. But I like production and I think I'm pretty good at it. And I like, I've produced out here. I used to produce, you know, twice a year, like great big performance parties and two, 250 people moving from stage to stage. And I'm, so I'm, I am versed in having a lot of balls in the air and having a lot of moving parts this, is, this whole thing is well within my wheelhouse, but it is ambitious because it's risky. I mean, this is a very risky thing to do right now for about a million reasons, but mostly because we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, with no end in sight. Um, um, vaccine, even, even if a vaccine is somehow miraculously approved for human consumption, And human use somehow miraculously approved in the next six months, which I'm just gonna weigh in on that would be incredibly irresponsible. What we know about how long human trials actually take to prevent us from growing limbs out of our foreheads and having horrible, horrible things happen to ourselves. We need, I know that we need relief and we need something, but everything that I'm reading is that actual vaccine, real time vaccine is not next year. So I feel like we've got to come up with new with new methodologies. We've got to come up with new ways to be social. We have to. We are social creatures. And we can we can do this. We can zoom for only so long, I think, before social disruption is really, is really, really problematic. I I applaud these, I, I applaud these graduates. They didn't get to do any of their senior projects you know just like the IU theater kids didn't get to do their senior projects and in New York the senior projects are everything you know yeah. that's when that's when some of the houses will come out and see who's who's got talent and who they're going to give uh, assistant directorships to and who who they're going to take in for their internships they didn't get the calling card that NYU provides and rather than sitting around being bitter they came up with a plan a group of them came up with a great proposal and and a budget that they have worked down to you know attainability and 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 big ideas and I don't need I don't know I mean I can't imagine getting I can't imagine getting more excited about something that is ambitious in this way because they're 22 and right now their experience of life should be spoken it should be spoken and they're you know predominantly you know lgbtq kids you know they're
0: they've got some challenges
1: they do and they're and they're they're i mean the gosh college age college age and unemployed millennials have got an incredible challenge and it's not just the future in the workplace it's it's an existential challenge they've got and and spoken of course like spoken of course from my my privileged position the entire world has got a lot to deal with the entire world has got much harder so much of the world has it much harder than i do or they do but the point is they are artists and they, are, they have spent their entire lives training to be artists because you don't get into the Tisch School at NYU without spending your life trying to get into the Tisch School. And they would be the new voices of theater in New York, which is the new voices of theater in the world. I feel like supporting them in that endeavor is, you know, is as socially relevant as a lot of the other things that we are all currently doing now.
0: We're speaking with singer, songwriter, and everything else, Krista (laughs) Dator. Krista, a few minutes ago, you made allusion to the political climate that we're in right now. We're going to play a song by you that you say, you told me, it's the first honest thing you've written since since when, Krista? Since uh, November fourth, twenty sixteen. Now, what happened to you? Were you unable to reach into your soul because you were you were troubled? I
1: I was when that when that happened when that election turned the way that it did you know all of the all of the stanford students were were crying and the the voices of my friends and women all over the country were just this 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 wail of of agony i know that sounds that sounds so dramatic when that happened the night of the the 2016 election when I was actually dressed in a white pantsuit. I, looked, I was dressed just like Hillary Clinton. And I was just because I knew for sure that something so unspeakable could not possibly happen. That something so irrational and something so um, mindless could happen in a country like this, or really any country. Um, where there's any value placed at all on, you know, on reason and critical thinking. November fourth, twenty sixteen. I'm standing on uh, Woodby Island, off the coast of Seattle, at an election party, with all of my friends who thought similarly that the Trump candidacy was a, a, a farce. That in the end, people would not possibly vote against their best interests, foolishly and wholeheartedly, and that um, Hillary Clinton would be the first woman president. I remember standing out in the street when the New York Times predicted that that was absolutely not going to happen and f- falling apart a bit, thinking that everything that I thought about the nation that I lived in was absolutely categorically wrong and that I had been operating under kind of a delusional notion of what democracy was and what what, what it actually could, could be. At that point, I thought there were so many safety nets that that could not possibly happen. The statement that was made by half my countrymen and probably not really half my countrymen, but the statement that was made was that women were of absolutely no value other than as objectified sexual objects and, th- and nothing else, absolutely nothing else. That civility was absolutely irrelevant. That fact was irrelevant and that um, we were going to step back in time a good 50 years in terms of women's rights and all of these hard fought uh, steps that we made toward equality with men, at least in the legal, legal and political front. And it was the most overwhelming feeling of despair that I Have had, I think, since my father died at twenty-one. Yeah, I was devastated, and it wasn't just me. I mean, it wasn't just me, and I, I, I lost. I really, I just, I just, I felt an existential, complete existential crisis. I felt completely irrelevant in in the new world order, and completely fearful about what that was going to look like you know all of a sudden it was margaret at margaret atwood and it was a handmaid's tale and there was just a whole lot of a whole lot of brutality and just acute uncertainty about whether we would even hold their position even hold anything like the position we held prior to his election and I didn't, I, I think I was just in, in such, a, such a state of despair that I just, I could not begin to formulate those words. I could not sing that song because mm. that would be incredibly depressing and not helpful. I, I couldn't, to go and deal with all of that directly would just have me sobbing, you know, in a bathtub. And so I just decided not to, and I couldn't. And then after a while, I couldn't. I can still do commission songs, but I couldn't come up with anything, you know, and I thought the muse left. (laughs) But I think we're seeing, and I think we saw that as a nation, artistically, we were awfully quiet. Art was quiet. There was nothing happening. The Women's March happened, and that, oh my God, that helped. Really, really energized a lot of people and then women got directly involved in the politics game in, a, in an enormous and overt way. And people of color got directly involved in politics and it mobilized mobilized uh, populations of people to such an extent that I don't think that anything else could have. Such an atrocity and such a critical moment that everybody mobilized and that was great, but art was quiet. I didn't see anything happening for a long time, you know, maybe even a year. And then it started bubbling and it is still bubbling now and artists is hot everywhere. And it's, you know, it's it before, prior to COVID was just blowing up all over the place. Like amazing young musicians and songwriters and painters and theater makers and just designers of all manner and, you know, and, and uh, background. And so as we proceeded, I sort of stopped, I stopped being on the road as much as I had, because it was just increasingly difficult. It was difficult for me to tap the emotions that I have to tap in the kind of songwriter that I am. It was difficult for me to, to, be putting on honest performances and not just phoning it in. And and the less I was on the road and the less I was writing, the less able I was to write, to actually do that and, and started wrapping it all up in kind of the trauma of what we've seen. I mean, what we've seen happen to us as a country, I, I don't think anyone could have predicted this level of complete and utter degradation and collapse of our position in the world, to, you know to be a country that is not allowed in we're allowed into what like thirteen countries at this point. that's that is unprecedented. We're the Roman Empire and in all the horror that that implies too. but we, we we still in in the myriad horrible ways that that has happened in other very important ways we have been a very important fixture holding some democratic some democratic um, administrations and and um doctrines in place all over the world so you know we've we had a very powerful powerful position for a very long time and now we don't i've got opinions but most of them are impassioned and I think, I think right now politics really requires critical thinking and we need to solve the problems, not really gnash our teeth, gnash our teeth about them. And I'd like to support people that are good at solving those political problems. Krista,
0: would you introduce this song? The title is Start.
1: And I was sitting, um, I was sitting and I've been working with Travis Puntarelli, you know, He's a, he was a great inspiration. I'm so sad that he's not here in Bloomington because it's a huge loss for Bloomington. But Isn't he something else? He's something else. He and his wife became dear friends of ours. And I was working with him, and he's always trying to nudge me back into the written word, you know, back into music. And we'd do some songwriting challenges. I did one, a couple with he and McCain Lakey, one with um, he and Carrie Newcomer, and one with Michael White. And Travis, 20 songs in 12 hours, we'd make ourselves do, that kind of thing. I didn't get, I didn't get anything. I got starts on things, but I didn't get any real song. And um, he was getting ready to leave and move to Oregon, where he is now. And I sat down to start to write. i The first word was start. And then the rest of the song sort of just flowed after that. It was, you know, it was, it was the... Distillation of, of the grief of, everything.
0: Let's listen to the song, Krista.
2: teardrop what blindness caused it to fall in darkness and stain my gown while I was dancing with stars to guide me the walls grew weird Sure.
0: Singer, songwriter, muse, Krista DeTour. Thank you for being on Big Talk.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And Michael, thank you for thank you for keeping so many conversations going in Bloomington.